Guardian Unlimited. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Shona McIsaac. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, veterans in my constituency welcomed last week's news that priority health care is to be extended to them. However, many of the scars of war are mental and psychological, and I would like my right hon. Friend to tell me what he proposes to do to extend treatment to soldiers uh, sailors and Air Force men affected by that. Let, let, let me thank my honourable friend for taking up the cause of veterans in her constituency. And she's absolutely right that last week the Health Secretary announced that uh, veterans would be accorded priority treatment in the National Health Service as they should be. He has also announced that there will be a new community based veterans mental health care service, and that will run for the next two years with independent evaluation. There are 150 mental health professionals working across defence uh, through employment by the MOD, and we are determined to do what we can to support not only our veterans, but all those in our armed forces who do an outstanding job and to whom we owe a debt of gratitude and a duty of care. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister told us he would deliver honest government, that he would be open that he would end spin and restore trust, and that he would deliver competence. After the events of the last few days, can he honestly stand there and say that all over again? And, 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 that, and that is why I have acted immediately to set up two inquiries. Mr Speaker, all of us, all of us in all sides of this House have an interest in integrity in the funding of political parties, and we should do everything in our power to ensure that political party finances are transparent and everything, and everything is above board. And that is why what happened was completely unjustifiable. It has got to be investigated as a matter of urgency. Two internal inquiries have been set up within the Labour Party and the Electoral Commission will investigate. I am determined to make sure that political party finances are above board. Says he must do everything in his power, and he said yesterday that unlawful acts have taken place. So, has he asked the police to come in and investigate? Sir, that is a matter, Mr. Speaker, as the, as the right honourable gentleman should know, for the Electoral Commission. The Electoral Commission, no, the Electoral Commission has announced an inquiry into this matter. We reported the matter to the Electoral Commission. We have told them that we are setting up two separate inquiries. The Electoral Commission will run an inquiry, and it is their decision as to whether the police are brought in. We are happy to cooperate in any way, because, in my view, this is something that has got to be cleaned up in the interest of the whole of public life, and I am determined to take that action. The, the Prime Minister is wrong. This is not the exclusive competence of the Electoral Commission, and I'm asking him a simple question. If he thinks something unlawful has taken place, doesn't he have a duty to call in the police himself? Mr. Mr. Speaker, under every convention, we report the matter to the Electoral Commission. The Electoral Commission was set up under a law that we passed with support from the other parties in this House. The Electoral Commission will make its decision 
as to whether this is a matter for the police, and we will cooperate in any way possible with either the Electoral Commission or the police or both. I say to the, honourable, the right honourable gentleman, it is in everybody's interest that action is taken against something that is unjustifiable. The procedures that were followed were not acceptable. Any changes in the law that are necessary will be made, and I believe that all parties have an interest in sorting this out. The public will see the Prime Minister just wriggling. That is the facts of it. Now, order, order. The right honourable gentleman will be heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Skinner, be quiet. You know better. And order, order. The honourable gentleman's out of order and he knows it. Order. I can hear. The honourable gentleman, the right honourable gentleman. Mr. Speaker, we learned this morning that John Mendelssohn someone who the Prime Minister himself appointed, knew for a month about a situation that the Prime Minister himself has called unlawful and unacceptable. How can that person possibly still be in post? Mr Speaker, uh, Mr Mendelssohn has issued a statement clarifying what happened. On September the 3rd, he started employment in the Labour Party. He has had absolutely no involvement in the donations that have been made. These donations have been happening for a period of four years before Mr. Mendelssohn, before Mr. Mendelssohn took, took office. That is why the investigation that should take place is the one that I've set up internally in the Labour Party, the inquiry that will be led by Lord Harris and led by Lord McCluskey, a senior High Court judge and the retired Bishop of Oxford, and we will do everything in our power. Well, we will do everything in our power, as the terms of reference have said, everything in our power to show that the standards that will be followed in the future will be standards that will be acceptable in every area of public life. So is the Prime Minister telling us that Mr Mendelssohn knew and did not tell either the Prime Minister or the police? Is that an acceptable situation? Mr Mendelssohn says, if I, if I, can, if I can put the right on the gentleman right, Mr Mendelssohn says in his statement that has just been issued uh, that he was uh, under led to understand by the General Secretary of the Party that this had been cleared with the Electoral Commission. And that is, and that is, that is the issue that was before him. He also, says, he also says that he was unhappy in principle with these arrangements and that he had approached uh, one of the people involved and was seeking a meeting to sort these things out. I have to say to them, Mr Mendelssohn started on September the 3rd. He was involved in none of the donations that, that were made. He is not the registration officer reporting to the Electoral Commission. But of course, if anything untoward has happened in this respect, that will be a matter for the inquiry, and we will take whatever action is necessary to sort this out. Yeah. I have to say, the Prime Minister's whole explanation beggars belief. Yeah. This goes to questions the Prime Minister's own integrity. Does he really expect us to believe that someone who even his own side believe is a control freak was preparing for an election, sorting out the finances, sitting round the table with everyone who was caught up in this scandal and yet didn't have the first idea of what was going on? We have had 155 days of this government. We've had disaster after disaster, a run on a bank, half the country's details lost in the post, and now this. His excuses, they go from incompetence to complacency, and there are questions about his integrity. Aren't people rightly asking now, is this man simply not cut out for the job? Yeah. Mr Speaker, it, it was our party, the Labour Party, that brought in the legislation in 2000. It goes for the Prime Minister as well. He must get a hearing. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, it was our party, the Labour Party, 
Our party that brought in legislation in 2000 to restrict foreign donors, to register donors, to have a comprehensive framework for election, to have an electoral commission, and we are ready to take any further measures, and I hope there will be all party support, so that everything in party politics is above board, including the use of third party sources for donations. And as for competence, I remind him, I remind him that in 1992, he sat there when interest rates went to 15%. Competence is the lowest interest rates for a generation, the lowest inflation for a generation, the highest employment for a generation, a doubling of investment in the health service, a minimum wage, properly financing education, and we will continue to do our best by the country. Kelly Mountford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. While we, while we let the hot air settle, Mr Speaker, uh, can I tell my right honourable friend that the wind farms are enormously, enormously uh, popular in my own constituency. I'm on his house. 80% of people responding to a survey say that they think they're attractive, produce clean energy and tackle global warming. Can, can I ask my right honourable friend, will they continue to have to wait for the planning process to produce the wind farm that they want? Will we have to wait and listen to the wind bags or get a wind farm? Uh, Mr Speaker, I hope all parties in this House of Commons will support the development of wind turbines, both offshore and onshore energy. It is the only way to meet our target for renewable resources if it is going to be as high as the European Commission pro proposes it to be. And I believe there is a duty on all parties in all areas of the country to consider the development of wind turbine. Mr Speaker, the, uh, the House has noticed the Prime Minister's remarkable transformation in the last few weeks from Stalin to Mr Bean. <laughs> out of order rather than order out of chaos. But amidst the administrative bundling and even the sleaze, does he not accept that the most damaging remark over the last week came from the services chiefs when they accused him of willfully neglecting the safety and the welfare of the young men and women who serve in our armed forces? Mr Speaker, at every point in the job I am in, I will do everything in my power to defend and protect the security of our armed forces. And I, ha I have to say to the right, right honourable gentleman that the defence budget is rising every year and will continue to rise. That when we came into power, the defence budget in Britain was the fifth largest in the world. It is now the second largest in the world. And as for housing, we are spending five billion over the next ten years on armed services accommodation more than at any point in the history of the armed forces. Order. For the Honourable Gentleman, right, Mr Russell, you've got to be quiet. You've got to be quiet. Mr Cable. We, Mr Speaker, we, we know about the defence budget because the Prime Minister signed £5 billion of cheques for the Iraq war. But isn't the truth that at the end of it, 
that the troops lack adequate equipment, lack adequate medical care and lack adequate accommodation. And isn't the underlying truth that where the armed forces are concerned, fundamentally the Prime Minister is not interested and doesn't care? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the Chief of the Defence Staff, um, the the Chief of the Armed Services, gave a briefing last week saying we were better equipped than ever before. And that's why we've invested not only the money from the defence budget, but to meet urgent operational requirements of our armed forces, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan, we've invested an additional £6.6 above the defence budgets that have been announced. And we will continue, whether it be tanks or whether it be helicopters or whether it be night vision equipment or whether it be specific help for individual members of the armed forces in contacting their relatives or in accommodation at home, we will continue to do everything in our power to help our armed forces do their duty. Adrian Bailey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In my local authority, the £300 million plus building schools for the future programme is considered vital to accelerate the improving educational standards in the borough. Can my right honourable friend reassure me that none of the money earmarked for that programme will be diverted to pay for schools providing surplus places in areas where they are not needed. I I think my honourable friend is referring to the debate that is now being held within this uh, House uh, between those who want to spend the money that has been allocated, £4.5 on building schools for the future that would renovate existing secondary schools and then primary schools and those who want to divert the money from promises already made to secondary schools uh, to build additional academies beyond the 400 that have been provided for. Uh, And I believe that existing schools to whom commitments have been made should have the investment made within them. And I say it affects almost every constituency in the country. And perhaps the Conservative Party should think again. How will the public monies lent to Northern Rock funded? Where in particular did the Bank of England suddenly find a spare £25 billion? As um, uh, the uh, right honourable gentleman will know, as as he will will know, the Bank Bank of England will make funds available in certain circumstances at the behest of the Treasury by their agreement. And that is what happened in relation to Northern Rock. And I would again ask uh, opposition members to think again. They They said at the beginning, that they were overwhelmingly in favour of putting the money into Northern Rock. Last week they said they were against it. I believe the weight of opinion in the country is it was the right decision to save that company. Eric Hillsley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, my honourable friend will be aware that uh, there have been allegations from members on this side of the House that a lot of our problems in relation to binge drinking stem from supermarkets selling alcohol at too cheap a rate. The licensed victims associations in this country now have documented proof that certain supermarkets are selling alcohol at the cost of production. Will my right honourable friend join with me in condemning our supermarkets for selling alcohol so cheaply? My my honourable friend may know that last Wednesday we held a seminar uh, with members uh, of the um, retail industry but also with people from the production industry, the brewing industry, the drinks industry, and people who are concerned about what is happening as a result of binge drinking. One of the concerns that was raised was the price of alcohol. Another was the special promotions that were being done by supermarkets. Another was the intensive advertising by supermarkets uh, that were encouraging young people in particular uh, to buy substantial qualities of drink. 
and we also looked at whether the drinks industry could run promotion campaigns that would educate young people about the dangers of binge drinking. Uh, we will be publishing a paper suggesting changes in this in the next few weeks. Michael Ancrum. Mr Speaker, in the face of the recent crises which have beset the Prime Minister, and particularly this last one, he's told us that he only learned about them at the last possible moment. Why does he think that members of his government, and indeed of the party that he purports to lead, are apparently so intent on keeping him in the dark? (laughs) Mr Speaker, Speaker, when we have acted, whether it be on terrorism or foot and mouth, or whether it be on floods, we have acted when it is necessary to do so and never refused to act. As far as the political party issues, I tell the House what I said yesterday. I first knew about this on Saturday evening and I acted immediately. Thank you, Mr Speaker. North East Derbyshire has seen a massive rise in youth employment and training since 1997. But what is my right honourable friend doing to ensure that all young people, especially those who have dropped out of any sort of formal education, are given exactly the same opportunities? Mr Speaker, I I believe it is right that every teenager should have some training so that they can get jobs for which they are employable. And that is why when we bring forward our measures to expand apprenticeships, to raise the education leaving age for people part-time or full-time training our education to 18 and to increase the amount of funding for the New Deal to enable it to help young people, I would hope that there could be all-party support for these measures. Sir Peter as, as he uh, so much and for so long wanted to be Prime Minister, has uh, the right honourable gentleman been reflecting on the advice of an earlier and more successful dealer in gold, (laughs) King Midas, who warned, be careful what you wish for, you may receive it. And in in our poison chalice, or is he planning to pass the chalice to his charming deputy? <laughs> Mr Speaker, I have, I have had debates across the House uh, with the Honourable Gentleman uh, over the years, and he has always been very generous in his comments to me until now. Uh, I hope we can continue to agree that this job is an important job, and I will do it to the best of my ability. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister congratulate uh, the UK World Skills Team including Jonathan Bourne, uh, who achieved the Medallion of Excellence and works for a building company in my constituency. Does their success in the Skills Olympics and the massive expansion by the government of uh, apprenticeships and quality training indicate that in the future young people will be able to fill the 600,000 vacancies in our economy and also improve not only their skills but their job prospects as well. Uh, my honourable friend is, is absolutely right and I do congratulate the company and her constituency uh, and the workers in it who have uh, done so well. The Skills Olympics will be held in Britain. We are determined 
at that point that we've increased the number of apprenticeships, as he says, so that we can meet the vacancies that exist in this economy. There are 600,000 vacancies at the moment. I want young British apprenticeships to get the chance to fill them. Don Foster. The Prime Minister may be aware of the recently launched Take Tourism Seriously campaign. Does the government take tourism seriously? And if so, why has it further cut the budget of Visit Britain by £17 million over the next three years? I, I, think, I think you'll know that over the last few years, particularly when there have been difficulties, we have put more money into tourism to help the tourist industry flourish. And I think you can see from the numbers of people coming to this uh, country, despite some of the difficulties we've had with terrorism and indeed with uh, foot and mouth, that the numbers of people coming to the country reflect the intensity of the advertising. We will continue to do that. David Cheater. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister congratulate Kevin Rudd, the new Labour Prime Minister in Australia, on his sweeping election victory recently, particularly on his speedy decision to ratify the Kyoto Protocol? In view of this week's UN report calling for an 80% cut in CO2 emissions, will Britain and Australia now stand shoulder to shoulder in the war against climate change. Mr Speaker, I've had the privilege of being able to congratulate Mr Rudd on his election as the Prime Minister of Australia, and I have also phoned the outgoing Prime Minister, Mr Howard, to thank him for his work over the last 12 years in the international community. Mr Rudd has announced that he is going to sign the Kyoto Treaty immediately, and therefore he is in line with what we have done. He has also said he will lead the way with us in seeking a post-2012 Kyoto Agreement, and I look forward to working with him against Conservative policies. Um, Mr Speaker, given that there are many constituencies like my own West Cornwall and Isles of Scilly constituency where last year five times as many properties were sold to second home buyers as to first time buyers, does the Prime Minister think that it really helps to give further millions in capital gains uh, tax cuts to the wealthy to have and to buy their second homes when there are many thousands of local families desperate for and cannot afford their first. But, but, but the answer surely is to build more homes and I hope he will support the plans that we have set down to raise the amount of house building in this country to 240,000 houses a year and to build 3 million homes by 2020. I know it's not a popular policy in the Conservative Party that we build more homes, but to get affordable housing in every constituency, we need to build more homes, and that's what we'll do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would my honourable friend join me in congratulating the Secretary of State for Innovation, Universities and Skills and the DWP for the changes to the 16-hour rule to allow young people on JSAs into full-time training and to allow institutions like South Birmingham College Construction Centre in Birmingham, who have a waiting list of 2,000 people to get onto training and into employment. Yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, we are trying to remove every barrier to young people getting the chance of both training and jobs. And I still hope that in addition to the removal of that aspect of the 16-hour rule and the creation of educational maintenance allowances, that all parties in this House will support our belief that every young person should have the chance to get some education at least until 18. The difference between us in this House is we believe in opportunity for all till 18. They believe in opportunity just for some. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister told us that his decision not to call an election had nothing to do with the polls. He also told us that his change of policy on uh, 
on uh, death duties had nothing to do with the Conservative Party policy. Why should we believe his, his account of the dodgy donors? Because I do what is in the best interest of the country, and I make... And I, make, and I am prepared with my colleagues to make difficult decisions, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. And I think he'll recognise that over the course of this year, we've taken difficult decisions, like on public sector pay, to get down the rate of inflation. And that's why we, unlike many other countries, can look forward to stability and growth. An increase in apprenticeships is a key component in the increasing the competitiveness of the UK economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some young people may be deterred from taking up apprenticeships because of the very low rates that are sometimes paid by some employers. Will my honourable friend ask the Low Pay Commission to look to see that if there is any evidence that young people are being deterred from taking up apprenticeships? And if there is, will my honourable friend extend the minimum, minimum wage regulations to cover all apprenticeships? Yeah, yeah. I will certainly ask the Low Pay Commission to look at these matters. They are an independent commission, but they will look at matters that relate to the employment of young people as well as the elderly. And I believe that the decision that we made to create a minimum wage in this country is one of the biggest decisions of the Labour government over these last 10 years. And on apprenticeships, we've increased the number of apprenticeships from 50,000 when we came into power to 250,000 now, rising... The Conservative Party don't like hearing about the successes in apprenticeship, rising to 500,000 over 10 years. That is what the future of our country is based on, and we will look at the remuneration and the education and training of young people so that we can have the best training in the world. Sir Patrick Cormack. What does the Prime Minister... What does the Prime Minister want for Christmas? <laughs> I, I, uh, I want to. <laughs> I might. I, I might, Mr. Speaker, have one day off. I'm big. The Scottish First Minister said after the fire on the Thistle Alpha offshore platform on Sunday that health and safety should be devolved to the, the Scottish Parliament. Well, there's a surprise, Mr. Speaker. Uh, would it not be better, um, a better approach to concentrate on cre increasing the prosecution rate and the penalties for those in breach of health and safety legislation for the whole of the United Kingdom rather than picking political fights? As, as my honourable friend, who's taken a very big interest in this matter, as the Member of Parliament for Aberdeen knows, uh, there was a private member's bill looking at these very issues in the House over the last uh, year. I believe that uh, with the expansion of the oil industry over the last 30 years, we have taken very seriously the issues of health and safety. I believe that whenever there have been incidents that have raised questions, we have acted immediately, and that is true of all governments. I believe that there are proposals on the table for an extension of the health and safety legislation in this uh, area and for more intensive and higher standards. And I believe the proper place to look at these matters is in this United Kingdom Parliament. The Honourable Gentleman. Uh, thank, you. thank you, Mr Speaker. <laughs> Mr. Mr Speaker, it would appear that uh, Baroness Jay was aware of the illegal nature of Mr Abraham's donations to the Labour Party long before the Prime Minister himself. Uh, is the Prime Minister therefore able to tell the House which of his Cabinet colleagues shared her knowledge at the relevant time, or is that, that a matter that is sub judice? Yeah, yeah. that, that is not, I believe, what Baroness Jay has said, but this will be a matter for the inquiry. They will look at all, 
they will look at all issues relating to this. Surely the right thing to do when a problem arises is to investigate it in detail, deal with the problem, change the procedures as ne if necessary, and if necessary, come back and reform political party funding, which we are prepared to do. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The whole country, excepting for that side, will be pleased with what the Prime Minister has said to us today in regard to the inquiries he intends to bring about. Uh, Abder, let the honourable gentleman speak. Yeah, uh, Abder. Equally, Mr Speaker, the whole country would wish the terms of that inquiry to be widened yes. and maybe fill four or five panorama programmes with the audit trail of the Ashcroft money. Mr Speaker, we agreed the 2000 Electoral Reform Act as a matter of consensus and there was a consensus in 2000 about the things that needed to be done. I hope we can proceed to make reforms, including the reforms in third-party agencies giving donations, including the timing of donations and relating to local political finance, by agreement. And I hope that the Right Honourable Gentleman will change his mind about running away from the party talks that were involved in solving this problem. Mr Speaker, precisely when did the Prime Minister's Leader of the House first learn of the illegal donations to the Labour Party? I have to say that the Leader of the House has made it absolutely clear that the criterion on which she judged donations were whether... I'm explaining this. The criterion by which she judged donations were whether the people that were giving donations were known to her campaign team or were registered with the Labour Party. There is not an iota of evidence to suggest that the Leader... There is not an iota of evidence to suggest that at any time the Leader of the House until Saturday knew that the donation was being given by a third party. Chairman, would my right on, would my right on agree that while his government and our government has done a great deal for special educational needs pupils up to the age of 16, there is still a real challenge both post-16 and particularly post-18 for young people with se severe special educational needs, mental health and disability. And when are we going to do more for that group, for the carers and their families? Speaker, we have set up a, a review into exactly this matter, uh, the special needs of young people and particularly children at school. And I believe that there should be, again, all-party consensus about what needs to be done. Let me just repeat, our policy is educational opportunity for everyone until 18, not just for some. Yeah. Order. Guardian Unlimited.